Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. You know, it was kind of a risky thing to do what uh, these folk did today, these 11 folk did today. It took a little bit of courage. It may not have looked like it. They may not have even considered that it was kind of risky, but it was a little bit courageous. I mean, for one, just to be willing to stand up in front of everybody. I mean, that's not necessarily everybody's favorite thing to do. Um, and we do give people permission not to do it. Uh, they have to kind of push on it, but uh, we do give people permission not to do it. Uh, church is not always the easiest place for introverts, especially churches that do a meet and greet. So we are aware of that, that we're really you know, stretching some of you to uh, participate like that. Uh, but being in front of somebody, is not, that's really the least of it. That's really not neither here nor there. Joining the church was kind of a risky thing to do. It took a little bit of courage because of what it meant, because of what they were doing. In short, what each of them decided was that they were going to commit themselves to this particular community of faith. What each of them decided was that they were going to identify themselves with us. And more than that, they're going to trust themselves to us. That of all the churches they could have united with, this was the one they believed they should. Now, obviously, we're really glad they did. And it is true what I said when we received them. College churches are better for it, for sure. But it's not an easy thing to do, commit yourself to a particular people. And I'm always humbled when people do decide to officially, formally become a member of college church. Because frankly, you don't have to. You don't have to. I mean, you have to be a member to vote on leadership, and you have to be a member to serve in certain capacities, for sure. But we don't insist that all who attend become a member. We invite and we encourage. But some attend here for years without joining formally. And most of you would not know by looking around who's a member and who isn't. I mean, you might assume that some are members who aren't, and you might assume the opposite. You might assume that some couldn't possibly be members who are. You just never know. You can't tell by looking around who is and who isn't a member. And being a formal member of a particular church is not a requirement for being a follower of Jesus. Now, commitment to a particular church might be, but formal membership isn't. It's not necessary for salvation. So I'm always humbled when people do decide to officially, formally join college church because it's a little bit risky. It takes a little bit of courage. I mean, furthermore, what, I mean, look at what these folks testified to, committed themselves to in order to become members here. Um, they, they decided, they committed themselves to believing what we believe. They agreed to believe what we believe. Now, they probably believed that before they arrived, but uh, we've had people join the church who haven't known what to believe and just deferred. They didn't have an opinion on everything, and I don't know that we have to, and they just said, I'm going to trust the church regarding this. I'm going to believe what the church believes. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a posture that is consistent with integrity. right? I'm just going to trust the church to teach me what it is we should believe. And that's no little thing to commit to uh, believing what we believe. Now, most Christians would agree to what we ask people to believe when they become members here. I mean... 
What we ask people to believe are foundational truths of the faith. What? That Jesus is God. And once you confess that, you know, that's most of the trip. Jesus Christ is Lord is the biggest confession of all, right? But if he's Lord, that means God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit as Trinity is also true. So we ask people to believe in God the Father, Son, and Spirit. That we, and, and the foundational truths of the faith. We need Jesus to save us. We can't save ourselves. We need Jesus to save us and make us holy and make us like him. And that he did so by dying on the cross and being raised to life again and by ascending into heaven where he is interceding for us even just now. The Lord's praying for us. And that upon salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of Christ himself. Which means that God's work in our lives doesn't end when we get saved. I mean, that's when it really kicks in. That's when we really start learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus after we confess him as Lord. So that the rest of our lives are then lived in, in the lives of responsive obedience. The rest of our lives are then lives of responsive obedience to the leading of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is coming back, but there's a future kingdom. And we believe that the written word of God, both the Old and New Testaments, reveals the living word of God, Jesus. If we want to know Jesus, we'll read this. If we want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we tend to this book. The Holy Spirit speaks to us fairly clearly in it. And so we take the written word of God very seriously. And we believe it is wisdom. It is truth. The best life is described here. And we don't try to make it say what it is we want it to believe. No, we conform ourselves to the truth of the word. We don't conform the word to what we believe. We submit to this word, which I do every Sunday when I'm preaching. So that's what these folks testify to believing, as ecumenical or as usual as, as it is, that is still a big deal. Then we, they testified to knowing that Jesus was saving them today. That was the question we asked. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Or do you realize that he saves you now? Which means we don't believe that salvation is a one and done thing. It's not like getting a ticket We've said the magic words once upon a time and now we're good. That's not what we believe. No, getting saved is the beginning of being saved. We ask, do you realize that he is saving you now? Folks, our Lord is saving us today as much as he did when we first came to him. So what they testified to was God's present salvation. And that's a big deal. He's saving me today. And then they committed themselves to giving themselves to the fellowship and the work of God in this particular place, at this church. They, considered themselves, they, they committed themselves to glorifying God by a humble walk, godly conversation, holy service, devotedly giving of their means, which means worshiping with tithes and offerings, 
Faithful attendance upon the means of grace, the means of grace being Bible reading and attending church and praying and serving. Those are the ways that God works in us and through us, the means of his grace. And then they committed themselves to abstaining from all evil, seeking earnestly to perfect holiness of heart and life and the fear of the Lord. They committed themselves to allowing the Lord to continue to work in their lives until they were like him. That's no little thing. And we began the entire ritual with the words, dearly beloved. As if it were a wedding ceremony. Now, it's obviously not as binding as a marriage. But I can tell you that some of the folk here have been through a whole lot of for better, for worse, that's for sure. And have stayed Now, what they didn't commit themselves to was being a particular age. They didn't commit themselves to being a particular race or a particular ethnicity. What they didn't commit themselves to was being part of a particular political party or having specific position on political issues. They didn't commit themselves to that. They didn't need to. And they didn't commit themselves to <laughs> liking a particular kind of worship music. And it's probably best if you're part of college church to like all kinds. I mean, if music is a language, then we're, then we're doing a little bit of Pentecost every Sunday because we're singing in all kinds of different languages almost every Sunday. They didn't have to commit themselves to any of those things. You know what those folks committed themselves to was to becoming a part of this particular community of faith. They wanted to learn of their Lord and serve their Lord with us, with us. That is no little thing. And it was a little risky to do. It took a little bit of courage because, and here is what else is true, when you do that, you risk being hurt. Communities of faith People in churches, churches can hurt people. Churches have hurt folk. And I won't do this morning what I used to do in one of my classes at Olivet, but I would ask my ministerial students how many have been hurt by the church. It was always at least half of the students who are not yet even 20 years old. And they would testify to having been hurt by a church. And I would ask them how. And they would tell me, and they were real hurts. There was a reason for being hurt. I mean, there is behavior in churches that do not imitate the kingdom of God, that do not reflect kingdom of God. And, full disclosure, we've got some folks here who have been hurt by people in a church, who have been hurt by leaders in a church. Uh, and I know that for a fact because I've heard your stories. Deb and I have our own stories. So we have some folks attending college church who are still recovering from having been deeply hurt by people in the church, by leaders of the church. And for the record, it's always been the case that Christ Church has had the power to hurt people. Uh, for the obvious reason, less than holy people are part of Christ Church. Even those first century churches were a bit of a mess. 
And sometimes we like to think there was a golden age in the church, right? Oh, if we could just get back to the first century, we wouldn't have gone to some of those churches. I mean, every book in our New Testament was written to the church so that they might become who they were supposed to be. This book was not written for those outside the church. You do know that, right? We know that. This was not written for those outside the church. This was written for those inside the church. The Old Testament was not written for the Babylonians or the Persians or the Syrians or the Egyptians. The Old Testament was written for the people of God. The prophets were speaking to the children of Israel. The Psalms were expressions of faith from the children of Israel. And our New Testament was written to the church. Now, many come to know the Lord by reading the Bible who are outside the church, and that's always a good thing. But we need to recognize this book is written for believers, for those who are followers of Christ. The reason we have most of the New Testament that we do is because of the problems of the early church. Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians and the letters to Timothy and the letters of John and all, all written to instruct for sure, but also written to correct and written to reprove the church for the church's sin. This book's written for us. And when we read it, we're not supposed to be thinking of all those others who need to hear it. This is the Lord talking to us. So the early church was a bit of a mess. Uh, with that said, it's still no excuse. Just because churches from the very beginning have not been all they should be doesn't mean we're not supposed to be. Just because it hasn't been doesn't mean, just because it hasn't, the church hasn't been what it needs to be doesn't mean it shouldn't be what it needs to be. Because we should also know that there are followers of Jesus who have been so hurt by professing Christians, they're just not sure they could ever trust another church. And I have talked to them. Let's be a refugee church. Let's be a refugee church. Let this place be a safe place a place of grace for followers of Jesus who have been hurt by the church so that they might rediscover that church can be a place of healing as well. That's really why I have been saying it. It's kind of a risky thing to do, what those folk did today. It took a little bit of courage to commit themselves so publicly, so formally to a particular people, to this community of faith. What a trust we have been given. But you know, we kind of have to. We have to. For lots of reasons. We'll start here. The church is Jesus' idea. It's not our idea. Jesus created the church. He said he was going to build it. And he said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So this... The idea of church is Jesus' idea, and he created it. That's the first reason. But furthermore, Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. He's laying down his life for the church. 
And those of us who go by Jesus' name should probably be like him in this. If Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it, then maybe we should too as followers of Jesus. Maybe we should love the church. The truth is, it was inconceivable to those first century followers of Jesus that they could follow Jesus without being a part of a community of faith. It was not an option. Christians not a part of a community of faith has more to do with American individualism than it has to do with the Christian faith. That is a cultural teaching. It's not biblical. And it is the case that every serious follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of a community of faith, be it a group of 12 or be it a group of 1,200. Every serious follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of a community of faith. And you've heard me say this. We can go to hell all by ourselves. We don't need anybody's help. But we're never going to get to heaven alone. We need God's people carrying us along. So, you know, we kind of have to. For this reason as well. The church is God's strategy for the redemption of the world. We are the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we do here on Sundays and on Wednesdays and throughout the week, it only makes sense if Jesus rose from the dead. This doesn't make sense if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. It only makes sense. We are the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. We confess it every time we come to church, whether we say it out loud or not. He is risen indeed. So as risky as it is to commit ourselves to a particular people, to a particular community of faith, we kind of have to. Every serious follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of a community of faith. This is God's strategy for the redemption of the world. And if the world is going to get better, it is going to be because Christ through his church does it. This is a personal opinion, so I'm going to step outside the pulpit for a minute. I try to only speak the Lord's word here, so you can take this or leave it. But my personal opinion is we've kind of delegated the redemption of the world to the U.S. government. If our investment in the outcome of any particular election is any indication, we put, we're kind of putting our hope in governments. Now, governments are pretty important, that's for sure. They can li make life miserable for its citizens, for sure. But frankly, how much more evidence do we need before we realize that the redemption through government is not how it's going to happen? Because God's interested in the redemption of the entire world. And the only thing that transcends governments is the church as an institution, Here's God's strategy. It is people committed to one another in communities of faithful worship of the Lord. It is people committed to one another in communities of faithful worship of the Lord who by virtue of that reveal a radically different way of being in the world that will be the world's salvation. Folks, we are witnesses of the kingdom. 
by who we are as the church and by how we are as the church. We are witnesses of the kingdom. And in this angry, divided, violent, rights-demanding, power-exercising, pleasure-seeking, self-indulging culture, we have an opportunity to show the world a different way of being by being kind and respectful and gentle and forgiving and deferring and serving and sacrificing and self-denying. That's the Christian ethic that is so, so different from the world's values, so different than what we're hearing. We have such an opportunity to be light in this dark world by being so confident of God's love, by being so confident of God's care, so confident of Jesus as our shepherd that we can be as God is, as Jesus is revealing the life of God's own spirit in us with joy and with peace and with patience and with kindness and with gentleness and with goodness and with self-control. We have such an opportunity to show the world a different way of being, a way of beauty and not ugliness. Well, so the fourth scripture reading for today was Acts 2, 42 through 47. There are four recommended readings that we could read from every Sunday. We read three out of four. We read three out of four most Sundays. And usually I preach from one of the three that we've already read, but I didn't do that today. Well, we always read a psalm. And we always read a gospel, but the other two choices were 1 Peter 2 and Acts 2. And I really didn't want us to miss the passage from 1 Peter, which said, among other things, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I didn't want to miss that because that's such good instruction. Regardless of how we are treated, we are to live such good lives that the only explanation for it is God. People drawn to God by how good we are. And so the fourth reading was this, which we who have been a part of college church should have memorized by now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We should know that. But do you know where this passage occurs in the story in the book of Acts? Do you know where this description happens? The very beginning. So Christ ascended into heaven. Disciples were told to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they did. Waited and prayed. The Holy Spirit descended on those disciples, filling them with God's presence. They recognized the Holy Spirit because it was the Spirit of Jesus. So if Jesus fulfilled the promise he had told them when he was crucified that he would come and be with them. Well, others heard about this visitation of God, and so they inquired. And so Peter preaches this sermon, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the one who had just been crucified. Preached that he raised, was raised from the dead. 
And this is what happened in response to Peter's preaching in Acts 2, 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a great story, right? Birth of the church. And according to Luke, according to the inspired written word of God, the immediate result of their repentance and their baptism and their being forgiven and their receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, the immediate response, the, uh, the immediate result of their becoming followers of Jesus Christ was this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They did church. That's what they did in response to confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. They did church. The first thing the followers of Christ do is unite themselves with other believers. They read the Bible together. They they commit themselves to the fellowship of the community. They worship. They take the Lord's Supper. And they prayed. And they were so committed to each other. All the believers were together. Had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And as a consequence of this community of faith, which was so different from the Roman world, consequence of this was the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The immediate result of their repentance, baptism, being forgiven, they're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing they did after confessing Jesus as Lord, this is what they did. They did church. Folks, we're the witness of the kingdom. Who? By who we are as the church and by how we are as the church. And in this angry, divided, violent, rights-demanding, power-exercising, pleasure-seeking, self-indulgent age, what an opportunity we have to reveal a different way of being by being kind and respectful and gentle and forgiving and deferring and serving and sacrificing and self-denying. So as risky as it is to commit ourselves to a particular people, to a particular community of faith, we kind of have to. Every serious follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of a community of faith. The first things those brand new believers did was join themselves as a community of faith. What do you think? Have I told you the truth this morning? I've told you the truth. And so today is the last day we have some of our college kids here. Some of you are going to take off forever. And I hate that. I hate that. Come to love these young people and they're part of the church. Then they go off and live their own lives apart from us. 
And then other college kids will be gone for the summer, but then we'll be coming back. Uh, to those who will be coming back, we'll hold down the fort for you. We'll keep, it, keep, we'll keep the lights on, so when you come back, we'll still be here. Uh, speaking of keeping the lights on, would you turn the lights on the choir behind me? I want to talk to the college kids. I got a last word to college students who are taking off, who are leaving. and One last word. What do you think the word is? Find a church. You guys find a church. You find a church, you find a group of people who will nurture you, who will tell you the truth, who will give you an opportunity to serve, who will allow you to hear the word of the Lord from a different voice. And if I would have one message to college students, I think it's the most important thing you'll ever do is find a church. The church is Christ's bride. He created it. It is in the church that we discover who Jesus is. With that said, I'll tell you, it's hard to find a church. It is tough work to find a church. Um, finding a church that agrees with what we believe or a church that we would agree to believe what they're believing. Um, getting to know people. And frankly, in our culture, you know, we have made church kind of like an entertainment venue and it's better to be anonymous, go in and have the content delivered and go home. Well, that really isn't what they were doing in the first century. They were part of a community of faith, a family of believers. So it's really hard to find a church, but don't stop until you find one. There's lots of churches. You just keep pushing it. You just keep going. And yet, of course, ask the Lord, you know, is this the church I'm supposed to be a part of? Ask the Lord. Well, I don't know if I should say this. College church wasn't our first choice. Should I have said that? Look at me. I don't think so. I'm getting out of the pulpit. I'm moving away from there. The Lord told us we needed to come here. Well, those were, the, those were interesting days when we first started coming back in 2005. And it, but the Lord told us we needed to be here. And I am so glad he did. This is now life for us. The Lord speaks to us through this incredible group of people. So you keep pushing until you find a church. And I don't know if you'll ever remember any word I've ever said, but uh, I would be really happy if the only thing you ever remembered me saying is find a church. You find a church. Every serious follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of a community of faith. God's strategy for the redemption of the world is people committed to one another in communities of faithful worship of the Lord who by virtue of that reveal a radically different way of being in the world. That's going to be the world's salvation. Us. Part of God's church. And you know what? The Lord has invited us to celebrate being a part of a community of faith with the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. He said, I so want you to be a part of a community of faith. I'm going to I'm going to sit down and we're going, to, we're going to break bread together. So we get to break bread together at our Lord's invitation.
Would you share the sacrament with someone this morning? Would you share it with someone? So what the early church did every time they got together, they reenacted the Lord's Supper. And it's his invitation to us to be his friend. And so this sacrament not only unites us with our Lord, it unites us with each other. We're all at the same table. We eat with our friends. But not only here. Uh, We're in fellowship with those who had broke bread with our Lord an hour ago. And not only in this place, but in other places around the world. This is such a big table. The Lord inviting us to be a part of this great communion of faith. And you know the story. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from it. All of you, drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a kind thing it is for you to invite us to your table to be reminded that you are good and kind and generous. And Lord, to provide evidence of your sacrifice for us so we can be reminded every week that you died for us, that you gave your life for us. Lord, uh, thank you for the invitation to your table. And Lord, we take this bread and we take this juice and we ask you to work through it and work in it. Make us like you. May we receive it with gratitude for what you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, may it preserve you blameless under everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ's body was broken for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and let us be thankful. And so, Father, thanks for this invitation to sit at your table. Thanks for this act of grace on your part to invite us into fellowship with you. And thank you for calling us into communities of faith so that we might learn who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.